Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. We have just eight days until Election Day. This is our last deep dive of the cycle. In case you haven't caught them, go back and listen to our breakdowns of Iowa, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Today, we head to another critical state with races for Senate, Governor, Attorney General, and the House, the state of Nevada. The last several cycles, the early vote in Nevada has given us a ton of data, and nobody knows Nevada better than John Ralston. John is the guy for Nevada data and insights. He's the founder of the Nevada Independent, an independent nonprofit news outlet covering Nevada news and politics, and we sure need more of those in this country. His early voting blogs are must-reads for anyone who wants to know the latest about what's going on in the state. John, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Alex, where do you want to start? So for for our listeners, and I think this is really, John, where we're really excited to talk to you. Again, Joe's not lying. Your early voting blogs are awesome. Everybody I know yep. in politics reads them. You are dissecting data constantly. What should we be looking at right now in Nevada as numbers are starting to come in? Well, thanks for those kind words about the early voting blog. It probably you guys are two of the few who would understand how much work goes into doing that uh, every day. And uh, uh, that's why I'm so sleep deprived. And so <laughs> I apologize if I'm less than coherent at any, at any point. Uh, so listen, this is a very strange election here in Nevada. The, the, the early vote is very predictive generally because so many people vote early uh, in, in Nevada. It's usually two thirds of the vote is in before we get to election day. And in 2020, it was 90% uh, because of all the mail balloting that occurred because of the pandemic. So it, listen, it, it, these races have been close in polling for months. Uh, they, they look to be close based on the early vote so far. But I would, si- I would sound one cautionary note for Democrats who usually build up a, a what I call a firewall in Clark County, where, which is Las Vegas, where most of the votes are. Uh, that firewall is not as strong as it usually is. Now, is that strong in terms of margin, in terms of turnout? What do you mean by that? So it, it is now about 20,000 votes, and they need to get that up, I would say, above 50,000 to feel comfortable, because that's probably how much they are going to lose by in rural Nevada, which is 15 counties uh, that that are deep red counties. And so can they get it up to 50,000? Yeah, they can. It's not that far behind the 2018 pace uh, at, at this point, but it's not it's not where I think they can feel comfortable, especially in a year when Joe Biden's numbers are so bad here, below 40%, even in Democratic polls, and we have some of the highest gas prices in the country. You, you guys know the spiel by now. And so uh, there, there are headwinds, and the Democrats who run the Democratic machine here know they're up against headwinds. Is the just out of curiosity, your take on the Reed machine? Is it still? Uh, I mean, you know, now that he's passed, is it still there? Is it? Is it? You think that that's part of this? You know, being behind a little bit on the early vote. You know, that's a, that's a very good question, Joe. Listen, there have been a lot of speculation. The Reed machine is faltering. It's not what it used to be. Harry Reed isn't around anymore. The fact is, is that while Reed could raise more money than God, while, while he was a, an overwhelming presence in this state, so much so, shameless plug coming, that I'm writing the definitive biography for Simon & Schuster about uh, Harry Reed. But the people who, who have the levers of that 
read machine are still around. Uh, the, the, the field operatives, the strategists, they're still there. And so the organization, the machine has been built for a decade and a half, essentially. The question though is how well can it run on, on, on a road that is filled with red potholes, if I can totally stretch a metaphor there. So how do you, how do you see the, the current race uh, between uh, Cortez Masto and Laxalt? I mean, there's a, obviously a whole bunch of different polls out there. Your newest poll at the Nevada Independent had it 43 to 41. That's problematic when you see an incumbent in that, you know, at 43, that far under 50. But then you have the New York Times Siena poll, uh, you know, 47 for Laxalt, 47 for Cortez Masto. You know, the, the 538 has the average is Cortez Masto plus 0. 0.4, which is too close for words. And then you have the new University of Nevada Reno poll having Masto's at 52, Laxalt at 39. That's way outside. Uh, I mean, one, it's great to see 52, but uh, I don't know how real that is. Where, where do you see the race right now from your perspective? Well, that UNR poll you cited, the last one, is a total outlier, and, and it's not worth taking seriously. There's no way she's ahead by 13 points. Uh, as you said, our poll showed two. The New York Times shows a dead heat. That's around where it's been, back and forth. Uh, Laxalt has been up. Adam Laxalt, her Republican opponent, has been up a few points in most of the recent Polls. Our polls showed some movement towards the Democrats in general in Nevada. But Joe, you know about this better better than anybody. Uh, a poll is only as good as it as as it is modeling what the actual final turnout yep. is going to be. And 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 we do not know that yet. I can tell you from the early voting uh, so far, it looks like it is going to be is going to match registration or be a little bit under registration statewide where the Democrats have about a 3% lead, which, by the way, is 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 the lowest it's been in a few cycles. It's usually at least five or six points before uh, the election. But there's another factor here, too. You know, Adam Laxalt is not Donald Trump, right? There may be some base hemorrhaging there. Laxalt has a lot of baggage. The same is true with the gubernatorial candidate on the Republican side, Joe Lombardo, who has never run statewide has had problems consolidating the base potentially. So we just don't know. Maybe they won't win the rural counties as much as uh, it is usually done. And that's by about 40 points, by the way. And Washoe County, which is where Reno is, which really decides everything, is where the Democrats have done very well the last few cycles, well enough winning by five or 10,000 votes that it doesn't really matter what happens in rural Nevada because the Clark margin and the Washoe margin two urban counties, which are as much as 88% of the vote, it doesn't matter what happens in rural Nevada, really, because there aren't enough votes there. So again, uh, uh, I, I know people want definitive pronouncements, but there's still five days of early voting and, and mail balloting left. And I want to see what it looks like by the end of that. Right now, it looks like it could go either way. So John, you, you mentioned Washoe. And I mean, if you go back and look, it's basically been like a two or three point margin the last couple cycles and i think that's right about where it is now do is it is it as simple as whoever wins washoe is probably going to win or is it a case where you're thinking that with these headwinds dems are actually going to have to build up a little bit more of a lead there too no i think you're right in in that it's a two or three point race there probably either way uh if the if the republicans win washoe county uh by two or three points or more i think that's a real warning beacon 
for the Democrats that they're in trouble, and I'll tell you why. The Clark margin generally uh, needs to be 10 points or more for the Democrat to feel comfortable. Joe Biden won Clark in 2020 by just under 10 points uh, and still managed to win because, as you pointed out, they won Washoe County by a couple of points, and the rural landslide was not enough to make up for it for Donald Trump. Uh, the Clark margin has shrunk to nine and a half points, the registration. The firewall now is only 8.7 points. That is the lead, the ballot lead that the Democrats have. And if you assume that the Dems are going to hold their base, uh, they need to get that base out in Clark mm -hmm. County in greater numbers to feel any kind of confidence. And right now you're saying that we're about 30,000 short on the early vote to build that kind of confidence, but that that, that could happen in the next uh, five, six days? What has happened in the past, Joe, is that the Democrats have surged in the last two or three days of, of early voting and managed to get the firewall, as I call it, in Clark County to a, to a reasonable level for them. It was 47,000 in 2018. Now, there are more registered voters now, so you would think that they would want it to be a, a little bit higher. Are they going to get to 50,000 uh, by the end of this week? I think it depends on one thing and one thing only, and that is the mail ballots. The Democrats have been crushing Republicans in mail ballots. Uh, this happened in 2020. It's happening in 2022, although to a slightly lesser extent, uh, both in percentage and volume. But if a bunch of mail comes in uh, the rest of this week, it's possible they could get there. But I have to believe the Democrats are very worried about the margins as they exist now. So I, I know Nevada is a you know, it's a party affiliation state when you register, and, and that's a pretty good proxy. Not a ton of independents in any of the early data we've seen. How do how have you seen in both in your polling and in, in recent past? How do they tend to break? It's a great question, Alex, and it's the question that's probably going to determine the election based on what you said initially, which is true. Party affiliation can be fairly predictive in Nevada. About a little more than a fifth of the turnout so far has been independent. But who are these independents and which way are they leaning? They leaned towards the Dems in 2018. Looks like they leaned a little bit to the R's in, in uh, 2020. So the independent registration is now the plurality in the state. Used to be Democrats were, were reliably ahead. That is, There's been an explosion of independent registration. That has occurred mostly because of a motor voter law where people are automatically registered as independents if they don't choose a party when they go to get their driver's license renewed. So about two thirds of that uh, uh, new registrants have been automatically registered. Do they even know they're registered? Are these going to be uh, uh, voters who actually go out and vote? They have no voting histories. So nobody really knows. So I think the Democrats and the Republicans are both confident for different reasons that the independents are gonna go their way. The Democrats are confident because they are the best in the business at identifying who their voters are, and they're going to get, they're going to turn out not just Dems, but the Indies that they think lean their way. The Republicans say, listen, independents generally go which way the entire electorate is going. They're affected by high gas prices and inflation, uh, et, et cetera. So they're going to go our way. I'll say this based on the modeling I've done so far is that if the Democrats can hold the independent edge, if the Republicans have one under 10 points, I think they have a chance to win these races. So what are you seeing with Latinos right now in Nevada? There's all kinds of conflicting data on that. I got to tell you, Alex, and again, that's a very important cohort for, for your listeners. Uh, it's, it's about 
sometimes a little bit lower of, of the electorate. It has reliably and overwhelmingly gone for Democrats in, in the last few presidential cycles and has helped them win, uh, including Joe Biden, although not quite as overwhelming as before. This is what I keep calling the canary in the coal mine for the Democrats here and nationally. We have the first and only Latina ever elected to the U.S. Senate, Catherine Cortez Masto. If she cannot hold the Hispanic vote, and the Republicans have made an unprecedented attempt to get it, spending millions of dollars, this has never happened in Nevada, on Spanish language television and radio and, and social media, uh, if she can't get 60 percent of the Hispanic vote, I think she's in big trouble, and so, so are Democrats down the ticket, and maybe uh, elsewhere. Polling's conflicting on this. In her internals, which I know about, she's at 60%. New York Times poll uh, that came out uh, showed her at 51% and Laxalt at 43, which, by the way, makes no sense to me because they had to race even. And if it's 51, 43, uh, uh, Catherine Cortez Masto among Hispanics, I don't even know how she's uh, in, in the ballgame. So uh, Hispanics are notoriously late deciders, too. I don't want to generalize. Uh, Alex, but but that could be happening as well. For listeners, you should have seen mine and Joe's faces when you just read those numbers off from the New York Times poll. And yeah, I, before we get into some of the other races, and Joe, I know you had a question too. I just one more question on yours. Obviously, you had the race at forty three forty one. Not having looked at it other than the top lines because it just came out as we were recording this. Which you know, next time we should break Joe. We should try to get someone to break a poll yeah. on the podcast. But it, it, that seems like an awful lot of undecided. Still, are there really that many people in Nevada that have not made up their minds? I, I doubt it. I, I I don't think so. And listen, uh, I just I don't even pay. I shouldn't say this because it's our poll. I don't pay much attention to polling right now. Now that I have nine days worth of actually hard voting data, you know, I, I that's what matters to me. And so I can model off of that. And it's better uh, than any poll. The number that was interesting to me uh, uh, in in uh, in all polling, but in in our polling, is that independents were going slightly for Adam Laxalt. But if they go slightly for Adam Laxalt, I think she has a chance to win. It's if they go big for Laxalt where she has a big problem. And where were, just out of curiosity, where were Hispanics in your in your poll that just came out? Uh, you know, I I, I, I could try to uh, bring it up while I'm while I'm here. I just, I, I just had a chance to start going through it before the podcast as well. Um, uh, and so I, I can try to find that before the end of the podcast for you, Joe, but I don't have it right in front of me now. I apologize. Oh, no worries. I, I think the most instructive thing uh, for our listeners is what you said about not paying attention to polls right now, that, you know, when you have real data coming in and we know, again, just targets like, you know, can Democrats get turnout to be uh, in the early vote to be 50,000 50, in Clark? You know, it's, it, those are the more important things to focus on right now and as as these early votes come in. And, and again, uh, put, to put a plug for your early vote blog, people can can track that with you every day. So we'll definitely put that in our show notes. What, one of the things I, I wanted to get to was some of the other races, you know, the governor's race, uh, as an example, uh, you mentioned uh, that you thought Lovardo was having some trouble, but I mean, what's your take on that race? Is that, is it a different take or is it the same across the board because of the polarization? The conventional wisdom is, is that Joe Lombardo is running ahead of Laxalt because there is so much negativity towards the governor, uh, at least on the Republican side and to some extent 
among independents because of, of what I call the COVID hangover, all the jobs that were lost, all of the issues that any COVID era governor has to deal with. And, and so uh, I, I, I am not sure if that's right. Our poll, as, as you know, showed Sislak was up four, but I haven't seen any result like that anywhere else. But again, uh, I, I just don't I, don't, I don't put much stock in it either way. The reason I think that Lombardo might have difficulty consolidating the base in a way that Laxalt may not, or that certainly Trump, when he was on the ballot, would, would not, is because Lombardo is a brand new candidate. He's never run statewide before. Uh, a candidate who was a real MAGA candidate ran in the primary against him and got 25% of the vote and immediately said that Joe Lombardo stole the election uh, from him and sued and finally relented and, and, and tepidly endorsed uh, Lombardo. But if you have a guy who got 25% of the vote and had huge support in rural Nevada saying the election was stolen, uh, that could hurt Lombardo with the base in rural Nevada. How much? Uh, I don't know. The reason we mentioned the Nevada-Reno poll earlier, which we just thought was interesting, was that has a much more, I think, orthodox take on the race. I think they have they had Sisolak at 47 and Lombardo at 45. It strikes me that a 13-point gap with Cortez Masto and a two-point gap with the governor seems a little far-fetched. Far-fetched is kind. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's just that I, I don't take that poll seriously for a variety of reasons. But as soon as I saw the 13-point lead, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Well, and it, that gets into one of the questions that, that we definitely want to get into. And, and let's kind of zoom out a little bit more nationally here before we get into some of the other down-ballot and house races. New York Times just came out with a poll today that was the one that has Laxalt and Cortez Masto tied at 47. But in that article, which I thought was fascinating, and we put a couple of poll quotes in there, they basically just destroy the polling landscape right now, saying things like the absence of surveys from reputable pollsters is remarkable, and they get into why, they get into the methodology. But it is really interesting that this, this landscape, and Joe, I know you're going to want to hop in here too. It seems like it's kind of being dominated in the last, I don't know, 10, 14 days with just a ton of like low quality, low sample, somewhat Republican leaning polls. Well, that has always been the case in Nevada, that the polls have undersampled Democrats. Uh, and, and I have I have not. There's only a couple of pollsters, maybe three that I even trust to do Nevada right. And Nevada is a notoriously difficult state to poll for a variety of different reasons. But, you know, the problem is, and, and, and Joe knows this with his long experience, is that now there's all these people who say they're pollsters yeah. uh, who aren't really pollsters, right? right? And, and, and they, put, they put this stuff out. I mean, listen, I've learned so much about polling to my benefit uh, over, over 35 years covering politics. When I was a young reporter and I was a cover in a campaign and someone sent me a polling memo, I'd say, oh, this is great. I'm going to publish this. This is great inside information. Before I learned to ask to see the entire instrument, I want to see the cross tabs. I want I want to see all I want to see the methodology. Uh, too many people in the press are so poll hungry that they will publish almost anything, right? And give it equal credibility, you know, uh, with with some pollster who doesn't have credibility, with someone who's a veteran of polling in the state. It, it, I, I just think the business has become so polluted with amateurs or hucksters that it's really difficult uh, to separate the wheat from the chaff from the average person. Yeah, and I think, look, I think the last two weeks, there's been a like just dumping of these kind of polls out there that sort of creating this, the, you know, the red wave is back uh, scenario. 
And you look under the hood under the, some of these numbers that they're pump, pumping out, and they make no sense. They don't add up, or you get this thirteen point lead that makes no no sense at, at, at all. The other thing I think, though, well, actually, the most interesting thing you said, I think, to me in terms of understanding polling in in Nevada, is most of the problem nationally and in states for the last two three cycles has been under undercounting, underreporting of. Uh, of Republicans in in the data, you, you know, MAGA folks avoiding talking to pollsters, that kind of thing, where where we didn't see the Trump kind of turnout in rural areas in a lot of the states. You're saying in Nevada, that's the sort of the opposite that it's been traditionally Democrats that they don't quite get enough into the into the sample. Yeah, the public polling uh, has generally done that. The public polling showed Jackie Rosen and Steve Sislak losing for the U.S. Senate and the governor's race, respectively, in, in 2018, and they both won. And they both won, by the way, by fairly substantial margins, meaning about five points. So uh, that, that was just way off, and it was because they had the turnout wrong. Uh, 2020 uh, was a little bit better. But again, uh, Joe, I, I just, I don't trust any of these polls right now. It's just, it's just, it's not worth my time. We, 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 ha we had already had polling on our schedule, so, so we decided to do one more, uh, but I, I don't even know if that's right. Let's get to some of the other, the House races in, in the state. There are, I, I guess, Nevada 4, Nevada 1, Nevada 3. What's your thinking on any of those? And give us any insight as to what, you, what, what we should be looking for. Yeah, I mean, those are all um, races that are considered close. Uh, polling shows them to be close. They're all essentially new districts changed in redistricting. Nevada 1, which is Dina Titus, used to be a usually Democratic district. And in redistricting, they, they moved a bunch of those Democrats out to try to shore up Susie Lee and Stephen Horsford, much to Dina Titus's consternation. And she complained publicly to anyone who would listen to what, what the legislature had done to her. So listen, the early vote numbers show that, that the Democrats are holding their registration edges and they're substantial in those districts. So they should be happy about that. Conventional wisdom, uh, the wisdom of people who have seen uh, the polling says that Stephen Horsford uh, is probably the safest and that the Republicans don't think they're going to win that race. And there is a subpar uh, MAGA candidate in that race uh, who's going to have difficulty winning in that district, uh, that Dina Titus is uh, in trouble but should survive, and that Susie Lee is the most vulnerable. Uh, she has created some issues for herself. She's up against a pretty high-quality candidate, at least as far as the campaign has gone, and she could be in trouble, and that's the closest district. It's been the swing district for a while. So that'll be Nevada 3 for folks uh, as you're that's looking right. at these things. Uh, when are we going to know results? You know, from from your, <laughs> you guys should see John's face when we just ask that question. <laughs> Listen, um, Nevada is a, a notoriously slow counting state, as you gentlemen may remember. And you know, the nightmare scenario, of course, is that they can count mail ballots up to four days afterwards. And the nightmare scenario is that the Republicans are ahead by a few points uh, on election night, and then it starts to change with the mail ballots, and then we have the whole stop the steal nonsense, start all over again. Uh, you know, observers like me of elections want them to be landslides, so there's nothing, <laughs> yeah. so there's none of that kind of stuff. That's very unlikely to happen in any of the races uh, that, that we've talked about. So to answer your question, if the current pattern holds, 
we may not know in some of these really close races who won on election night. And what areas uh, uh, or races should we look for to see, you know, how things are going on election? I obviously the margin in, in Clark and Marshaw counties, but if you're one of our listeners and you're uh, looking, you know, as things are coming in, what what counties or places should we be looking to see, you know, get some read on what's going on? So what will happen on election night, if it's like any of the ones in the past, Joe, is the Clark County and Washoe County will post, and we will know a lot from those. I After the first posts of Clark and Washoe in 2018, I declared that Sislak and Rosen had won. It was so obvious by those numbers and by the margins in Clark. If Clark County posts, and if uh, the governor and, and, and the U.S. senator were Democrats, are not winning by 10 points or more, it's going to be a very long night uh, for them. And if they're only up by five or six points, I'm not saying that's going to happen, then they're going to lose. So, John, I mean, I know you, I know you track Nevada like, like no one else can, but are there any races that you're following or looking at nationally or, or what's your, your feeling about uh, how close all these Senate races are around the country? Yeah, you know, I tend to only pontificate uh, about things I know about, uh, Joe. It's, it's pr- pretty safe generally. But, you know, these, these other Senate races, you know, one of the things when I look at, at Pennsylvania and then Georgia and Arizona, and I, I see candidates of the quality of Blake Masters and Herschel Walker and Mehmet Oz, and then I look at Adam Laxalt and realize that Adam Laxalt is as bad as those guys. They've just kept him cocooned and kept his mouth shut pretty much so he doesn't say some of the crazy stuff that they've said. He's still been caught saying some crazy stuff, but he's as bad a candidate as those guys are. And if Adam Laxalt, who was a bad candidate, can win against Catherine Cortez Masto, who was a good candidate and has run arguably the best race uh, in, in the country, if he wins, those other ones are probably going to win. Well, I was hoping we could end on an up note. John. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you, you, uh, no, that's why we had you on. We want, you know, uh, you, you, you call them like you see them and, and, and like, but, but on the other, if you look at that, the other side of it, the, it, it looks to be like Democrats still have a, a real shot at getting that Clark vote out. And, you know, we'll see when the mail ballots come in, but it, you know, it goes the other way too. If she can defeat Laxalt, then it, it is, as McConnell has said, one of their biggest problems has been candidate quality. Uh, and it's, it's pretty clear Laxalt is, you know, on the, the candidate quality problem along with Oz and, 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 uh, and Masters uh, and, and, uh, and definitely Herschel Walker. So in the end, I, I just think there's a lot of cross pressure with voters out there. Yes, the economy, uh, Dobbs, but also the extremism and just the craziness of some of these candidates. And I've, I've always thought that it was that you had to have Republican help uh, by nominating bad candidates for us to avoid, a, you know, what uh, everybody was predicting would be a big red, red wave uh, in the midterm. And, and I, I still think that's holding. In other words, if, if, it, if, it, if that wasn't the case, if their candidates weren't so bad, Given the environment, given gas prices, given inflation, given where Biden's uh, approval is, none of these races should be close. And so it's that candidate quality issue uh, and the extremism, I think, and some of the crazy stuff these guys have all said and done that, you know, I think make it possible for us, for Democrats to hold that, hold the Senate and, and maybe even the House 
is a lot closer than 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 people think. I think one of the encouraging things is, as you pointed out, that the the three sort of house races that are on the bubble in uh, in Nevada that you feel like two of them are are, are going to come through and and that Nevada three is the one to watch to see uh, whether we can hold all three. But wait, 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 Joe, before we go, there's one race that was a little bit farther down in our notes, but as you know, from all our work with the Lincoln Project and in some of these Secretary of State races around the country is really, really important. And I, I think, John, I, I saw a quote from you about it, but the Jim Marchant running for Secretary of State, how, how real is that? Talk about candidate quality. Jim Marchand, I've said, is maybe the most dangerous man ever to be on a ballot in Nevada. He lives on a different planet from the rest of us. He he is an election denier extraordinaire, but he, he's worse than that. He believes in all kinds of conspiracy theories. He's a QAnon disciple. He's a Mike Lindell acolyte. Uh, he has said all kinds of crazy stuff, in, in, including going, going around in rural Nevada trying to install his people as clerks uh, to oversee elections. Uh, well, he has been successful in, in, in at least one county in doing so, installing an election denier. And he has said he's doing this so we can make sure that Donald Trump wins in 2024. And I will leave you with this optimistic note, uh, Alex, and that is this. He's ahead in the polls. Well, John, here's the hoping that the candidate quality problem lands on the Secretary of State's race in, in, in Nevada and those poll numbers change with real votes that are coming in daily. If you're in Nevada, vote. But I really want to thank you, John, for coming on and giving us you know, a clear-eyed view of what you see. And again, folks, we'll put a link to John's blog to follow the early vote uh, so you can, you can keep track of are we getting to that close to that 50 or above it, 50,000 that, that he talks about in Clark County. We'll be back on Friday with our usual episode. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question and review on iTunes. And that concludes our deep dives of the critical states. Thanks, John, again for coming on. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and you may know me from my career on Wall Street or my 11 days in the White House. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'll tell you, if you read books, you can. I love to read, and my new podcast, Open Book, is about just that. Each book is this curated source of knowledge, which we can buy for $10 and digest in 10 hours. Together with some of the brightest minds and authors out there, I'll turn the pages on everything from history and psychology to finance and tech. You can find Open Book with Anthony Scaramucci on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.